Bravery is an aspect that to many people is what defines extreme moments of growth and salvation. It's what turns boys into men, women into mothers, and in some cases, it's what brings salvation to those on the brink of annihilation. In today's society, we are obsessed with having brave figures in our lives. You only have to watch almost every action movie, read most books, and listen to your favorite podcaster or talk show host to find proof of this. To me, however, this is a very one-sided view of bravery. Sure, the people from our movies and books and celebrities in real life do brave things and often save the day, but they do it for their own benefit and gain, often tearing down those around them to gain their moment in the, in the limelight. A person who is truly brave is the one that stands up and defends what is right, whether that be freedom or values. It's a person whose first love is always the people or deities in their lives, and they are willing to put the needs of those people before theirs. These people are also humble, forsaking the treasures of the world and rather performing their brave acts simply to protect rather than, than to gain. This form of bravery is often ridiculed by the world, and because of that, these true hero heroes are becoming harder and harder to find. Notwithstanding these obstacles, I believe we each have a person who amplifies these characteristics in our lives, especially with respect to a father figure. To continue my mini-series on father figures, I'd like to share the story of my personal father figure, who, coincidentally, is my own father. He has a very unique story that very few people have gone through, let alone heard. Even I knew very little of the story I'm about to share until I asked my father about it. Being that I was only a little kid when this happened. With that I, BJ Dooley, give you part two of the Father Figure series in another edition of Dust Off the Shelf, Stories of History and Everyday Life. My father, Keith Dooley, is very much like me personality-wise. Quiet, nature-loving, God-fearing, and preferring to spend his time with his family. These traits become evident in any introductory conversation you have with my father. I am the husband to the most amazing, beautiful woman who gives so much more to me than I could ever give back to her. I am father to two of the most amazing kids who've taught me more than I think I ever taught them um, and who bless my life every single day. I am a religious person, I, um, follower of Jesus Christ, and I uh, try to do that as, as best that I can, um, try to live by your basic precepts of of Christianity of uh, love the Lord my God with all my heart might mind and strength and love my neighbors myself I, I think I feel at both of those uh, quite regularly but I, I try and uh, try to to exemplify what uh, what Christ taught Another theme my father will often reveal in any conversation is his adventurous spirit, which is often evident in all the places that we've lived throughout the years. We've lived in a lot of different places over the years. 
we started out in in Utah, lived several places there. We lived in Idaho, several places in Idaho as well, and uh, moved to San Diego after that. Lived in San Diego, in a couple of different places there, um, for a couple of years, and then we moved to St. George, Utah. So kind of back to Utah, but a different part, very different than than northern Utah, and. We were there uh, for about a year and decided that we wanted to do a crazy adventure and buy an RV and travel around the country. So we we did that for almost two years, pretty close to two years now we've been there and, and uh, you know, we've seen some interesting places, met a, some uh, amazing people and uh, really got to see the country and experience a lot of different things. And it was a it was a lot of fun. It was a challenge. There were hard times. There were uh, struggles for sure. Um, but overall, it was it was a great experience. And you know, we're uh, looking forward to to the next chapter. One thing my father often doesn't reveal, however, is his military service. Something that took up a large portion of his life is the thing that I wish to focus on in this episode today. For many people, joining the military is often a traditional thing, one that boys will do to follow the footsteps of their father. And though my father did come from a long line of military members, this was not the case with him when he joined. Rather, it was something that most people often wouldn't think about. So I joined the military as a way to keep up with my language. I uh, had recently served a proselyting mission for my church uh, where I was assigned to work with Cambodian people and to learn the Cambodian language. And I just loved everything about the Cambodian language. I put in a lot of hard work to try to learn it. It's, it on an easy language to learn and I just fell in love with the people and the culture and everything about it and I, I didn't want to lose that. Uh, I'd heard you know, lots of stories where people you know had, had returned home and you know just forget a lot of, of the language and, and uh, I, I didn't want to lose that and all that hard work that I put in so I was looking for a way how, how am I going to keep this I'm not using it every day and I'm not talking with people and uh, I was I, it's, it's interesting that I, I remember this very clearly I was I was in a my one of my chemistry classes at in school and I was in a lab and it was a lab partners that I, I had we got to talking and and he mentioned that he was in the military and and we got to talk about languages and stuff and he said you know hey if uh, if you want a good way to keep up your language, you might consider joining the National Guard. And there's a linguist uh, battalion in Utah, and it's just a good way to, to keep up on your language. And I think that's, you know, really kind of where I got started. I mean, obviously, I grew up in a military family. And my dad served in the Air Force, and um, and so I was I was used to being around the military, and and it was. So it wasn't foreign to me at all, and and you know, I just 
felt like that would be a good way to uh, to to keep up with the language and you know and then the other benefits of helping to pay for college and things like that were were obviously enticing and so that's uh that's what we did My father officially joined the military in 2001. And at the time, he thought that his military service would only include weekend trainings and maybe some trips to his beloved Cambodia. However, these dreams were shattered shortly after the September 11th attacks in 2001. And the aspect of my father going to war became more and more obvious. However, it wasn't until 2003 when the risk of a deployment became more evident. So I knew a deployment was inevitable really a couple of months before it actually happened. You know, you start hearing little rumors here and there, people uh, saying one thing or another, and, and gradually over the, the next couple of months, they intensified more and more grumblings. Then you start having meetings where they're, you know, talking about getting your life affairs in, in order and things like that. And, and then you just... You just know that that something is on on the horizon and, and coming up. So, we had fair enough warning on on that deployment. Um, the the first deployment I was a uh, a small part of. Uh, we we definitely didn't have that. It was you called up and uh, and then within a couple of days we were on the bus uh, heading to Colorado Springs. Um, and you know my my wife was pregnant with my daughter at the time, and, and there were some pretty serious complications. Um, and, and so I actually was, was fortunate to stay home and be able to take care of, of them. But after that time, I, you know, I, I knew that another deployment was, was definitely in, in the cards for me. And, um, you know, the, the units at that time, the units got put on like a rotation. So, you know, like every three to five years, somewhere in that time period, you were you were likely to get deployed, so I, I knew it wasn't going to be very uh, long before I had uh, you know to be to be called up again. Um, and sure enough, it it happened. True to my father's prediction, five years later, in early two thousand eight, my father and his unit left for a deployment to Afghanistan. For the next 14 months, they would spend their time there, dedicating their services to their country and to the military. I was only seven years old at the time when my father left, and I don't remember much of that day, being that I was only a little kid. However, I do remember how sad I felt to watch him get on that plane and fly away. Because even though I didn't quite understand what was going on, I knew that there was a chance that I may not see my father again. And for my father, there were several of these same thoughts that went through his head as well as he boarded that plane, and especially as he reached his final destination of Afghanistan. To describe what, what it was like, what was going through my mind when I landed in, in Afghanistan, I think I, I have to rewind a bit and, and you know, go, go from the point where, where I actually left on deployment and... and you know that that feeling of of leaving your family and not knowing if if you're going to see them again. I mean, it it's it 
a hard feeling to describe and and you know you you know that there's no no going away from it you know you have to face that and you have to face that 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 goodbye at that point and and it's not something that uh i think you could ever prepare for um but you, but you do it anyway because you you know that you know there's there's no delaying it there's no putting it off it's it, it's happening and you're, and you're leaving and then you get on that plane and you know it's it was a commercial flight that they had chartered basically and you just know things are different because there you are with a with a a weapon a gun on a plane and i mean that that would never be able to happen but when it's a full military flight like that then you know you you have it there with you and and um you know flew to to maine and that was um i mean everything seemed kind of normal there and and then another leg to to germany and then uh then you, you do that final leg and and we actually landed in in um kyrgyzstan uh and i think that's when it when it got real for me uh when we landed on the tarmac and and plane slowed down and we we get to uh close to the the gate uh we stopped for for a moment and uh, there were two um, armored Humvees that that pulled up around the plane, and you know you you see the the gunners in the in the turrets, um, you know load the fifty cals. Uh, you, you know we could we could watch them do that, and you know uh, so they were they were escorting us in, and I don't know how much danger was there, but just you know not knowing anything coming in and. You land in this foreign country uh, that used to be a, a you know a Soviet country, and um, uh, and then you see, you see that happen. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of a wake up call, just saying this is real. I mean, we're we're here, and you know, and then and then things wear off a little bit because you know you on the on the military base there and you're getting ready to go into country and, and things, you, even though we were only there for, I think maybe a week and a half or something like that. It just, it just felt like you, you even fall into a, a semi routine, um, even in that short of a time period. And, uh, and then, and then we finally leave to, to go to Afghanistan. And then when you land in country, um, it was, it was a very, surreal moment i i think that you know it really hits you at that point that uh, you know i'm i'm here now and and it's real and i remember you know we we flew in it was the middle of the night um i, I think they do that intentionally um, um for safety purposes and and you, you land on the plane and i uh, you know you, you can't see anything it's, it's just dark i mean there's lights on the flight line but but everything around is is dark and you can't tell where you're at and you just see a, a few uh, buildings and and tents along the 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 runway and you know uh, the the smell is one thing that I remember um, you know getting off the plane just smelled so so different than anything I'd ever 
experienced before and, and smelled before. And, uh, I, I just remember that as, as being, you know, uh, something that I, I remembered. I, I mean, I learned later what the smell was. It was the, the burn pits on on the the outskirts of the uh, of the base. You know, you had to burn all your all all the trash because you, there was could be secrets or things used against you in in there. So you, and there's no safe place to dump it. So really, the only thing that you can do is is burn it. And and those things were were going, you know, all the time. And so there was always a smell in the in the in the air it was coming from that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that that was one of the big things. It, it, it was really dark, uh, and so. Uh, is it, sort of the military thing is, you know, hurry up and wait is, is the thing we always say. Uh, and, and I, I think they do that so that you don't think about what you're doing. And, and certainly in that time it was, you know, hurry up and get off a plane and hurry up and go into this tent and then hurry up and fill out these forms. And then you sit there and wait and, and then it's hurry up and go to the next thing. And, and I, I think they do that to, to help keep your, your mind off of where you're at and and what's what's actually happening to you at the, at the moment. Even though my father was in a war zone and it was essential for him to be not only efficient but quick and alert of his surroundings, he couldn't help but take in the natural beauty that was around him in Afghanistan. So Afghanistan is actually a very beautiful country and you know at, at least when we were flying in uh, it was um the mountains were, were breathtakingly beautiful they were all snow-capped you could see uh just um for you know forever you could just see mountain peaks you know just stretching as far as i can see and snow caps and really quite beautiful to to fly over that some of the mountains are are extremely high i mean i think they have like a twenty four thousand foot peak uh maybe several of those um and a lot of mountains in the twenty thousand range so um you know uh very beautiful that way uh, when we actually got into uh afghanistan obviously i mentioned it was dark when we got there but the next day just kind of looking around uh, a lot of us it was kind of the running joke, of, you know, from Utah, and we had done a lot of training out in in the West Desert, and uh, we, we all joked that uh, they just put us up in a plane, flew us around in circles to a couple different airports, and and then landed us back in the West Desert of Utah, and I mean, it was really like that. There were mountains right close to us that that seemed a lot like the mountains uh, back home in Utah. Um, and one major difference is is the, the air was you really couldn't see the blue sky it was most days it was just you know this this level of dust in the air that just was made this the sky pretty much brown and it was hot hotter in the summer than than what we were used to in utah and cold i, I don't know if it was colder than utah it certainly got cold there uh, in the winter time, but uh, I, I do think that uh, Utah was probably a little bit colder. But it was, you know, a, a lot the same, hot and dry in the in the summertime, and and cold, and uh, a little bit of of snow and weather in 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 the uh, winter time. 
As my father began to settle into his new life on the base in Afghanistan, he began to develop a daily routine, a routine that would stick with him throughout his entire time on the base. The daily routine was was pretty much the same every single day. I, we really called it the, the triangle of death, not not that we were thinking of, about death necessarily at the time, but just what we called it. It basically went from your uh, your your house, which is we called it a bee hut. Um, it's basically a, a plywood box that you you slept in. So you went from there uh, to the chow hall to work back to the chow hall, back to work, back to the chow hall, and then back home to your, um, to your bee hut. Uh, and so that, that was basically your, your routine. And I mean, you break it up a little bit with, uh, with some gym time after, after work. There really wasn't a whole lot of recreational activities other than going to the gym. So, uh, that's basically what, what most people did was was go to the gym and and you know in the winter time when it was cold um uh, i would um uh, go to the the in, indoor gym uh and run on the treadmills and then and then do some you know weights for for lifting and, and things like that uh, so i would do that as well and then in the you know nicer months when it wasn't too hot then uh, i would i would run around the the perimeter of the the base i think it was about an eight mile loop something something like that uh and you know it was a um way to to relieve stress and and to to uh keep yourself in in shape uh, as you need to do as part of the military anyway so um yeah um but uh, most days, uh, you couldn't really uh, tell one day from from the next. It just was uh, really much the, the same routine that that you that you would always do. With this daily routine, however, there were daily threats that came as well. So the main threats were were mostly like small arms fire that you would hear. Um, somewhere in the in the distance, um, you know, guns uh, being shot and um, rockets would get fired at the base on on occasion, and um, you know, you you kind of get used to those things because you hear them so often. Um, at first, when we landed there, the the, the uh, you know we were told the sirens would go off if uh, if there was a, a rocket attack. Uh, on the base and you'd hear them and you know they tell you okay put on your body armor and go to the to the bunkers um and you do that like once or twice and then you realize no one else is doing it so you sort of stop doing that too um and, and you just kind of learn to live with those those things i think um that uh you know humans have a uh huge capacity to to live through their circumstances and um and to be able to thrive no matter what circumstances they're in and and so uh, you could either choose to let it paralyze you or or you can uh, go about your day and and you really don't have that choice in the military because that's what you're there for that's what you're trained to do so you have to you have to go and and, and do your daily routine and you know there are other threats on the base i mean a lot of areas were, were um, 
wired off because the uh, landmines, um, you know, a heavily mined country, and so there were still areas that the the mines hadn't been cleared from, and you know, especially in a heavy rainstorm or something like that, that those those could get washed uh, uh, out onto the roads and things like that. So you have to uh, be careful of that and. You know, there was a, a wall breach at, at one point, um, and, and then there was always the, the threat of an, an actual happening of, of you know, uh, the prisoners sort of rioting uh, within the, the, the prison. Um, and, you know, so those, those are kind of threats that, you, that we ex- experienced. Um, you know, we had some guys... In, in the unit that, that were in, you know, much worse situations than we were on, you know, we were on the largest base there. And there were other smaller bases that, that, uh, um, that some of our, our guys went to that, that, you know, experienced a lot more rocket fire and a lot more gunfire. And, and, you know, uh, so you know, we, uh, I don't say we had it easy necessarily but certainly a lot easier than some some of the bases and, and you know you just kind of got used to things and and um you know they became they, they became part of of you know the the underlying stress that that just is part of being in in a in a war-torn country and and being a part of the military Though my father became accustomed to the daily life in Afghanistan, it was undoubtedly a very stressful and difficult time for him. And there were many moments when he indeed felt not only helpless, but hopeless. This was especially evident every time one of his comrades fell in battle. So the times that I felt most helpless, the one that that comes to mind, I think, is... um, during the fallen comrade uh, ceremonies that they would they would have and and I think it was an equal amount of of a lot of different feelings uh helplessness um and I, I think reverence and um you know I don't want to say pride but but you just you know feeling honored, I guess, at, at someone that, that gave their, their life for their, their country. Um, and it didn't matter. I mean, most of them were, were, uh, Americans that, that I sat through, but I sat through, um, some from, from other countries, you know, and, um, and, you know, they, they gave their lives as well. And, and, uh, you know, he said it's a whole range of emotions, but I think that the helpless part um, is just just knowing that you know the person was there the day before and 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 is no longer with us, and and it's sort of a helpless feeling because you you know that it's a part of being in in a war zone and. You know, it's it's always a possibility, and and you know, you you hope and pray that it's it's not you, uh, but you know, you, you don't know you don't know what's going to happen. I, I think there's a little bit of helpless helplessness there. Um, and and to describe the the fallen comrade ceremony, um, these would happen 
you know, all, all day, you know, uh, not, um, like all day long, but they could happen any time during the day or the night and you'd hear an announcement, um, that there was going to be one and, and the, you know, everybody that could, um, on, on the base would go and line the, the main street, um, uh, and, and you would stand there, uh, uh, at attention and, and you would wait for uh, the the caravan of, of Humvees that, that would be coming up to carry you know who who had fallen um, uh, and you know it would the Humvee with a, a casket in the back with a flag draped over it and it was very very solemn um, uh, very uh, respectful uh, ceremony and and you know, it's wall-to-wall soldiers all up and down, uh, just standing there in, in silence. And, you know, you, you, you would wait, you know, sometimes a half hour or more uh, after the time that they told you to be there, by the time they, they you know, got everything ready and, and came up. So sometimes you were standing there for quite a long time, and, uh, you know, left to really your thoughts. And... Um, and then you know you would see the the Humvee drive up, and as it passed, every you know each person would salute as the Humvee passed them, um, and it was it was both a, an incredible experience and and you know also a, an incredibly sad experience. Um, but uh, you know to this day, you know it was. To seeing that flag and and hearing uh, the Star Spangled Banner is, is something that that moves me to tears because I I definitely reflect back on on those experiences and, and you know of of the time there those those are definitely the 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 memories and experiences that stand out the most to me and have that the most impact on on why I. I'm, I'm proud to have served our country and, and, and fought for something. Um, and I'm proud of the people that, that died for that. Um, and it carries a lot of emotion with it. Anyone in this situation could have given up, could have thrown in the towel. And uh, undoubtedly my father went had these thoughts go through his mind but he didn't give up he kept going and he found several things and people that helped him through these difficult times the things that got me through the deployment were obviously my my family um, my wife and and children and being able to talk with them um you know, luckily we were we were able to uh, took a while, but uh, to to get a good connection, uh, to be able to to have a video call back. Uh, this is very early days of Skype, uh, um, and the internet over there was was not very good. So the you know, when we first got there, it was we basically had dial up. So I mean, we could get like a voice call in and. Uh, but the the video was really grainy and and not much not much uh to but you know it was it was something and 
we eventually uh able to get a, a satellite connection and so it, it definitely improved then um but i mean it's the only thing that's ever gotten me through any trials in in my life and and any times where it's it's been especially difficult is is my family and um the the support that they've given me uh in that time and and since then uh i'm that's helped me me get through and it was no different there and you know and then and then you've got you know they they tried to do as as best they could in the military i mean obviously you're in a war zone so uh, there's not much they can do, but I, they tried to, to bring in, you know, those USO things that come and visit, uh, you know, always something going on, something like that, that, that you could sort of look forward to. And, and you get to, you get to become good friends with the people in your unit and, um, that you're around every single day. Uh, and, and so, um, they can become a, a, a great support because you know you guys we're all going through the same thing and, and so we're able to to help each other out especially on on the hardest days and um you know and and music uh really helped me out um you know i i you know found comfort in 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 some songs and and uh sometimes those those help me get through um, and then, you know, I think most important was, was prayer and, um, you know, talking to my Heavenly Father and just asking for safety through that day and safety for my family back home. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, go back to the, the helpless feeling as well as, you know, things would happen at home and, and you feel helpless because you can't do anything. You're, you're half a world away, literally. And, and. And, and so you have to trust and, and rely on those that, that can help out and that uh, can can see your family through the hard times that they're having. Um, and uh, so uh, sometimes, you know, you, you did you really felt helpless. My father is the bravest man I know. His experience in Afghanistan was is truly remarkable. There are very few men or people that could go through what he went through. And many of the things that brought him comfort still bring him comfort to this day, especially with the music. One of his favorite albums that he listened to while he was in Afghanistan was one by one of his favorite bands called Fall Out Boy. And during that time, Fall Out Boy had an ad- album called Folia Do. There's a song in that album that I like as well. And in the chorus of that song, there's a defining phrase that states twice, change will come. Oh, change will come. And change eventually did come from my father. And after his 14-month deployment in March of 2009, he returned home. However, he was not the same man that he was when he left. I think the thing that changed the most in my life because of the deployment was my relationship with my family. Um, first, you know, 
to talk about is my relationship with with my wife and having gone through that experience um, really in the military the two outcomes that you see are that relationships get much stronger and people really bond together um, or or they crumble and fall apart and and I certainly saw both of those happen um, there really is not much middle ground I think when that happens because it's, it's just such a it's such a trial and it's such a um, difficult time to go through and a, and, and a long time I and mean, we were gone for 14 months so I mean that's a, a significant amount of time and so either um, if you know if you had a strong relationship I think it becomes stronger um, and even some people had maybe a weaker relationship it became stronger um, because of the deployment um, but uh, that that was certainly my experience and I think that that was a huge changing point you know um, where you know um, you, you, you don't really sweat this the small stuff and and you you just become grateful for 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 being with them um, and you know while we were deployed whether that was the, the short times that I got to to talk on the on the phone um, and Skype meetings and um, you know, communication back the, those, those times that you could be with them, you, you became very grateful for. And then, and then just, you know, coming back from the deployment, you just were so grateful to be home and, and, um, be with the ones that you loved that, um, that the relationship grew stronger, I think. Um, and you, you don't take things for granted anymore, um, because you, you see that, I think firsthand just how fragile life can be and um and so you 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 look at things you know through that lens um at least for for a significant amount of time after the deployment i mean as if in as anything goes it, it sort of fades over over time but um especially right after the deployment those those feelings were were very strong and so that was was definitely a a, a huge um huge change um in in life and um you know i think i think uh another thing that that uh changes is i realized that i could do difficult things um you never know how you're going to perform until you're actually tested and i think that was a, a huge test um and i'm only speaking for me I, I know it was a huge test for for my wife and and family and um, uh, I, 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 it was, it was a huge test for, for me as well. And, and, and I made it through and I, and, um, you know, made it out the other side and, you know, it's something that I've, I've carried with me throughout the years as well. And, um, tried to, to pass that on to, uh, to, to, um, others around me, you know, was able to. Uh, had the opportunity to work with a young young men's group in in my local congregation in, in Idaho, and um, uh, you know we'd go on you know week long uh, camp camp out um, 
backpacking trips and and go uh, do do hikes and all kinds of things and trying to help the 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 young men understand that, that yeah you can do you can do hard things you can do things that that seemingly are difficult at the time or you, you don't know if you can actually do them um but uh, you know you, you actually can if you just you know put one foot in front of the other and and um and persevere through uh you you'll get to the other side and and i i wanted to help uh others others see that because um i think uh, a lot of people have the tendency to want to give up nowadays and and stop before they've even tried um and um I think you miss a lot when, when you do that. I think that the experience that you go through and, and the things that you learn um, and and the the strength that comes by facing that adversity uh, really um, really helps you out a lot in, in, in a lot of the things you do in your life and um, and then the the um, You know, to me, the the joy of of coming home and and having accomplished something like that, and then coming home to my family and and the sweet uh, reunion with them, and you know, all those all those different emotions and and feelings that you just you would miss out on um, if you just you know uh, didn't think you could accomplish it. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I wanted to to help other people know that they they. You know, in in the hard times come in life. I mean, it doesn't matter uh, who you are. There's there's times in life that are they're going to be difficult, and you know you have to you have to face things, um, and you know you can't you can't always run away. Uh, and, and so uh, hopefully I've passed that on to to others, um, and and I'm gr- and grateful that that I had that experience. As stated in the beginning, bravery is an aspect that all wish to attain in this life, but there are very few that do. I'm proud to say that my father is one of those brave few, one of those people who went through some of the most difficult things imaginable and came out a better person. I'm proud to call him my dad. And uh, if you're looking in your life for somebody to look up to, who is brave, look for someone like my dad, who does his brave things not for his own personal gain, but to, to protect his family and his loved ones.